The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to Philip, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said to him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked Jesus, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I ask you on this NFL wild card weekend, can anything good come from Dallas? Can anything good come from Tampa Bay? The Eagles fans among us would say, no, no, no. That might start to give you a flavor of today's gospel reading for today and Nathaniel's reaction to Philip's testimony about Jesus. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Actually, the disbelief in Nathaniel's reply is not so much that Nazareth, which was Jesus' hometown, was somehow bad. It wasn't. It was because Nazareth was so irrelevant. Scholars tell us that at that time, the village of Nazareth was home to somewhere between 200 and 500 people only. It was around 60 acres small. That's about one-tenth of a square mile. It was halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, not close to either one. And Nazareth is not even mentioned at all in the Hebrew Scriptures, not even in passing. It was nowheresville. It's more like when I started going to Canada and meeting Jenny's family and friends, and they asked me, so what do Americans think of Canada? And I replied, honestly, they don't. (laughs) 
That was Nazareth, slightly less than an afterthought. As one commentator observes, Nathaniel is honest enough to express amazement that God's Messiah could come from an insignificant village. In Nathaniel's view, Jesus could be nothing more than a simple Jew from an insignificant village in Galilee. The Messiah would certainly be of more prominent parentage and come from a more significant town. Nathaniel's reaction is part of the larger story of Jesus calling his first disciples. The story goes that the day after Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist sends two of his own disciples, Andrew and another unnamed person, to meet Jesus. And they come to believe in him. And then Andrew tells his brother Simon, who Jesus names Peter. And the following day, Jesus finds Philip. And then Philip tells Nathaniel. Jesus gains five disciples in his first two days of public ministry. But Nathaniel is the only one of the bunch who expresses any hesitation. The other disciples seem to understand and believe right away, but Nathaniel needs a moment. And this echoes back to the story about Samuel and Eli in our first reading, where God calls Samuel three times, but neither, neither he nor Eli, who himself was a priest, recognized that God was calling. The text explains why they took so long to catch on, saying, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. People had not heard God's voice in so long that they weren't expecting to hear God's call. I'm guessing that most of us would find it easier to relate to Nathaniel, Samuel, and Eli with their questions, hesitations, and doubts rather than Andrew, Peter, and Philip with their immediate belief and acceptance. In a way, Nathaniel reminds me of doubting Thomas from the Easter story, where Thomas says that he won't believe that Jesus has risen unless he sees the nail scars in Jesus' hands. These characters help us to find ourselves in this story, and I think reassure us that all these reactions and feelings have a place when God calls, when God speaks. One of my favorite things about this passage is the way in which Jesus' true identity is revealed as the disciples interact with him and with one another. I've been thinking of it as kind of a phantom thread that runs through the reading. If you don't pay attention, it's easy to miss. When Andrew and the other disciple meet Jesus, they refer to Jesus as teacher or rabbi. And then after spending some time with him, Andrew tells his brother Simon, we have found the Messiah. And then Philip tells Nathaniel that Jesus is the one about whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote about, that Jesus was the fulfillment of scriptures. And finally, Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. There is this deepening of understanding about who Jesus is and what he has come to do from a teacher, which is kind of a baseline understanding of Jesus, to the very Son of God. The disciples' understanding of Jesus evolves in this very compressed period of time, these two days, as a way of mapping out the journey of those who encounter Jesus, as we grow in our understanding of who he is, what he came to do, and why. For the rest of us, this may take weeks or months or years or even lifetimes to arrive at, and we may shift and change in the way that we regard Jesus over time.
And so we might pause this morning to ask, how do we think of Jesus? What do we understand Him to be? Do we think about Jesus as a teacher, a friend, a comfort, an example, an inspiration, a revolutionary, the Messiah, the Son of God, the way, all of the above? I remember being asked that question once many years ago when I was a young pastor on silent retreat at a monastery, and the monk who was providing me with spiritual direction asked me, who is Jesus for you? And I think I answered something like, I think he's my boss. (laughs) Not that helpful. But maybe if I had to answer that question today, I'd say that Jesus is the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. From coming to be with us in our human condition at Christmas and then joining himself to our sufferings on the cross, Jesus is always with us. The one who loves us beyond all measure is always faithful, always present, always bringing life out of death, hope out of despair, healing out of brokenness. Always there with us and for us with a love stronger than death. God's beloved who calls us beloved too. So often when we talk about callings and disciples and discipleship, we talk about doing and action. And there's good reason for that. Jesus sent out his disciples to heal and teach. In the final moments before he ascended back into heaven, he told them to go into all the world and share the gospel and to baptize. That is part of our discipleship, serving others as Jesus served and sharing God's love. And yet so much about being a disciple of following Jesus is about growing in our understanding of who he is, who he is to each of us and to the world. And I come back again to a quote I shared last week by Mary Struford that says, faith is not about doing the right thing. It is about trusting the right God. Trusting the right God means not trusting ourselves as if we were God or trusting the small g gods or idols that we create for ourselves, but by putting our trust in Jesus, the teacher, the Messiah, the fulfillment of Scripture, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, God's beloved. As we grow in love and understanding, we naturally want to share that, to express that to others, to strive to live and love as Jesus did. We are called to do, to serve, but first we are called, like the disciples, into relationship with Jesus. There is another phantom thread that runs through this reading, really kind of a refrain, and it is, come and see. Jesus says it first to Andrew when he asks where Jesus is staying. He says, come and see. And Philip then in turn says it to Nathaniel. It's an open invitation to discover who Jesus is for you, for us, and for all. And that is the invitation of the Epiphany season. As we hear the stories of the calling of the disciples, Jesus' healing and teaching and miracles, as Jesus is revealed to those in his time in the scriptures, he is also again revealed to us. He calls again to us on this day, in this season, at this time in our lives and the life of the world. Come and see. Amen.